Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how are you? I'm good, Ken. Thank you. Uh, what happened to your beard? <laughs> Where is it? What's going on? I was looking on? too much like a caveman, and um, my wife was uh, she was over it. So I shaved the beard without telling the kids. And when I came downstairs, every single one of them, all four of them, said, "No, we want the beard back." And I said, um, "How come you don't like the beard? Now you can see my face." And and my oldest son wasn't trying to be funny. He said, "Yeah, that's why we don't like it. We would rather have the beard." <laughs> that's love, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta love their honesty. Yeah, that's love. Somewhere, that's that's definitely love. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, he's definitely from the Teddy Atlas school of honesty. Kids are beautiful. <laughs> that's one yep. of the only places you get honesty nowadays. Is from yep. the uh, just the genuineness of kids. You know, just of the purity. The quarantine is definitely uh, testing our love for each other because there are moments when we're ready to have like a Royal Rumble in here <laughs> where only the strong survive. They are testing my patience to say the least, but I keep reminding myself that these are trying times and difficult for everyone, but my God, my God. That's nice of you to continue to remind yourself, please you have keep to. doing that. You know, it, it, I think it, 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 it it applies to everyone listening. I'm sure everyone's going through their own struggle when you're used to a certain lifestyle, regardless of what it is, driving a bus, uh, being a school teacher, just that routine of being out of the house. And now all of a sudden you're forced to live a completely different lifestyle for better or worse. There are things that are just overwhelming at times where I'm like, oh, I just, I just want to get out of here for 10 minutes. I'll go sit at a coffee shop to give them a break from me as much as anything else. And it's like, there's nowhere to go. Other than sitting in my car, it, there's nothing to do. So anyway. Just think, I'll leave it with this, Ken. If, it, if this terrible situation doesn't do anything else, let it remind us, obviously, of never taking anything for granted um, in life. Uh, I don't need to tell people that. They're smarter than me. They understand that already. But to remind people that the way this has changed and twisted and turned upside down our lives, as you just described, uh, in it's in small ways compared to what it's done to some, but also... The understanding that there's people in our world, in our country, in our society that always, it didn't have to be a pandemic. They always are in those positions of, mm -hmm. of not having what they need, of not being able to do the things and get out and be able to do the things they want to do whether it's because of their financial situations, because of pure poverty, because of age, because of loneliness, lack of family, lack of support, you know, isolation. There are people that are always isolated. We're feeling it now. And we're saying, oh my God, it's a bad feeling. It's a horrible feeling. But there's people that without this virus, they were in that position in their own private cave in their own capsule of, you know, loneliness. Without this, every day. Yep. And when this goes away, they're still going to be there. Maybe we have to be more cognizant of those people to find ways to reach out to those people. We're, we're finding ways. That's the greatness of people and of American people too, that we find ways when we're put in the worst positions we find ways to help others, to be better, to, to be human. We find ways that we won't find them before. Maybe we need to be, as I just said, aware now of the people that are always in this kind of captive state, mm -hmm. this, this isolated place. Especially the elderly. Yeah, we, there's so many different people, elderly part of it. We need to be aware that those people, when this is done, 
they're still going to be there because they were there before this started. Let's help those people. Let's reach out to these people. That's all. Time to show some real toughness. And along those lines, I want to talk to you about recent controversy around the uh, UFC fight night last Saturday night. Fight night from Jacksonville, Florida, main event, Anthony Smith, Glover Texera. I know you've had a chance to watch the fight just for the fans who may not, for the boxing fans in particular, who may not have had a chance to see this fight. Uh, coming into the fight, Anthony Smith, who um, lost a tough uh, five-round decision to John Jones, who's widely considered one of the best pound-for-pound fighters ever. So Anthony Smith is no slouch. He was a big favorite over, or, or at least a favorite over Glover Tuxero, who's an older guy, maybe, I think he might be 40 years old, coming in, though, on a three or four fight winning streak. Good matchup on paper. Anthony Smith, the young lion, Glover Tuxero, the wily old veteran. And um, in the first round, it looked like Smith controlled the action, was a little busier. But halfway, roughly halfway through the second round, his gas tank started to... <laughs> looked like it was close to E, and Texera started to take over. And when I say take over, for those who haven't seen it, he was putting a beating on Anthony Smith. Um, broke his nose, broke his orbital, punched two of his teeth out, uh, broke one of them at the gum line. And this gets into the controversy here. Um, neither the ref nor the doctor was stepping in. So you would hope that at some point the corner would step in because he wasn't just losing he wasn't firing back with anything effective. The gas tank, like I said, at that point was on E in addition to the damage he was taking. So there was no, maybe he lands a big shot because even the shots he was throwing didn't have enough on them to do anything to a guy like Texera. And uh, like I said, I know you've seen this. I just wanted to set the scene for people who might not have seen this to emphasize how bad this beating was at one point his mouthpiece is coming off kept coming out and he said to the ref my teeth are falling out so he couldn't keep the mouthpiece in with that said I want to turn it over to you and first of all get your thoughts on the circumstances your thoughts on the lack of stoppage from the ref the doctor in particular the corner who's supposed to be there to protect the fighter from himself I know a lot of these UFC guys prior to the fights and Justin Gaethje recently said I don't want anyone to stop this fight. I am ready to die in there. And they fight like that. And 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 Anthony Smith did too. And at one point, Texera was on top of him, smashing him with punches and literally apologized to him and told him, hey man, this is just business, just business. And Anthony Smith, because there's no fans, you could hear every word they were saying. Anthony Smith just said, hey man, it is what it is. And they carried on. And as Texera carried on raining down punches. With that said, Love to hear your thoughts on this one, Teddy. It's not simple. It's complicated. What's simple, first of all, the nickname of Smith is Lionheart. Uh, you, yep. I don't think you have to go too long to try to figure out where that came from and why it suits him. First of all, I want to say something as we get in. I want to say it initially that... Um, that Smith is legitimately, his behavior speaks the most of what he does. But when people now start to question, investigate, um, look at the fight and different parts of it, him saying and acknowledging to the ref that his teeth were coming out, um, which some people may say that that's a sign you know, these are warriors. They're not going to put a flag up. There's no there's no surrender. There's dying, <laughs> but there's no white flag. There's a code to live by. They're cold. That's dying. Dying is not physical. Dying is spiritual to these people. That's dying. And what I want to put out as as valid as it can be and all you need to know about Smith is that this is a guy who fought, if my information is and, and memory is right, one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time, Jones. And he got hit with a with a illegitimate punch or knee. Yes, a knee. He got kneed in the head while he was down, which is illegal. Excellent point. And the referee said, you have the choice of winning by 
disqualification, or we'll give you a little time if the knee hits you. How about about a month? Yep. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I don't know. And A hundred percent. And we'll give you a little time. It's like you got hit by a truck. You know what I mean? You got hit by a truck, right? And and the, and the EMS guy says, hey, you, you, you want a couple minutes, uh, you know, before you, you know, you walk in to your building or, you know, should we put you in the ambulance now? You know what? You might want to put me in the ambulance now. <laughs> you just might. So what I'm saying is that here's a guy. You talk about walking the walk, talking the talk. He said no to that offer. He said no to that. He turned it down. He said you can win the title. That means you're going to make more money. Yep. That means some of the things you fight for, you can take care of your family better. But to him it meant disobeying the code. Yep. It meant going against the code. There's only one way to win. Not by disqualification. That's cheating. That's not allowable. So I just want to start with that. That The man has backed up everything he says that he's about. He backed it up right there. He backed it up right there. He could have been a world champion by default. No, he said. No, he said. It goes against my principle. Muhammad Ali once said, no, I will not fight the Viet Cong. Whatever side of it you're on, I will lose my career. I will, in some ways, die. Yeah. I will die. I will, I, I, I will die because uh, you take away my career, my way to make a living, my way for my spirit to speak. You're killing me. But I will die before I compromise my belief. His beliefs at that time were connected to religious beliefs. But what are they until they're threatened, until you're tested to the point of what they are? what they mean. Then you find out. Then you show. And Ali showed then. And Smith showed in his behavior in that case that I talked about with Jones. So I had to bring that up. Having said that, the fighter has the responsibility, these fighters, these special Spartans, warriors, samurai, these UFC fighters, these MMA fighters, they have the responsibility to behave a certain way, to adhere to that code. Then, it's kind of like having a friend. You know my feeling? People are going to say I'm a little barbaric. I really don't give a damn. My feeling of a friend is someone who should be ready to get, to put themselves in harm's way to live up to their commitment as a true friend. Yeah. Yeah. To to be ready to be in danger, hurt, in order to live up to that real commitment that they pledged as a friend. But then it's your job as a friend to never let that happen. Excellent point. And, and that's what this is about for me. Yeah. When you have a fighter ready to die ready to live up to his end and that is his end i'm not here you know if people thought i was here to say oh oh, oh, they better change the way these guys think no i'm not here for that no i'm not here for that no but because these guys are part they're part of a special breed of people that a code of conduct, as vicious as it is, as barbaric as it seems to us, and I get it, I see it, that a code of conduct is everything, is valuable, more valuable than comfort, more valuable than, than living. The way you live, 
It's not that they're saying, I, I don't like life, I want to die. They're not manic. They're not maniacs. But it's just like, I want to live my way. I want to live my way. And my way is to adhere to certain principles that are pretty damn rigid. That's a soft word. But they're pretty damn tough. And what I'm saying is, I understand that. But the people that have the responsibility in the corner, the people that are the doctors, the people that are the referees, it's their responsibility to not let it go over the line. Like the friend. Let your friend be ready to get hurt for you. Don't let him get hurt. Yeah. Don't let him get hurt. The referee, the <clears throat> corner man, the the doctor, that's their job. That That is their code. That should be, uh, they respect the code of their fighter. They, they more than respect it, they implore it. They need it. For him to behave that way, for him to act that way, for him to be successful, they need it. They need it. It has to be there. But then you also need them to protect him from himself. To not, to not die. To not really die. To, to, what it is for these warriors, for me, it's a journey to go places that very few people have the capacity to ever go. To go to the limits of oneself to see what those limits are. To find out. To find out. See, the, it's not just about the blood and the bones and the orbitals and all that stuff. No, no. That sounds so barbaric. Like, I could see people can't get their head around it. Like, like what is, you know, what is rewarding to this? You know, what, what, where is the value to this? Where, I, I get it. I could see people saying that. But that's where it is. It's to explore. To explore man's boundaries. That's what it is. That's what these men are doing. And here's the thing for me, in a nutshell. For the trainers and for the fighters that can't get out of that mentality. I get it. Here's what I want to bring and offer. I'm no UFC expert. I think I know about fighting, though. Boxing, the parallels. The fear, the challenges. The depths of those things. The dark caverns that we go into. How lonely and cold they are. How scary they are about what happens when we are in positions to be threatened. What choices do we make? Why do we make those choices? Why do some make them and some don't make them? That I understand, and that's the same. That's the same. And what I'm saying to everybody is that respect these guys' journey what it's about, their voyage. And at the end, ready now? Don't go be don't go crazy <laughs> to fight as anybody. But if you respect the voyage and the code and you adhere to it and you live up to it and you pay homage to it, you don't break the oath. It's okay to lose. It's just not okay to fail. And you didn't, you didn't fail. Smith didn't fail. He lost. His body lost. His spirit did not fail him. That's what I would present. And I'm presenting now to you out there. And I'm not trying to be Joe Rogan or any of these great, you know, DC and these great commentators they have and any of them. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just being me. In the world of fighting, 
Some things are the same. And they need to be respected. There's parallels. And you need to see those parallels. I get it. So for me, what I present to Smith is, hey, I got you. You didn't lose. You didn't, you're not in a way that matters. Your body lost, but not you. Your spirit prevailed. Your spirit lived up and acknowledged the cold. It, it respected the cold. It paid homage to the cold. Your spirit didn't didn't die. It didn't it didn't again it didn't surrender. It didn't betray you. Your body, the vessel that the spirit travels in, did. So if you look at that way, it's okay. Now what the corner was doing or should do. Because Smith said, I will fire them if they do that. So for me, no. You want your code appreciated and respected and admired and understood? Respect theirs. Okay, Teddy, what's the corners? The corners is to appreciate what you did and who you are, what you did, like a friend. To appreciate that. And in appreciation, in respect, to not destroy the vessel. So there can be a day where the spirit can use it in battle again. That's what it is for me, for these people. That's what it is. I had to think about this because I'm doing this show specifically on this. So I thought about what I needed to think about. What did I want to say? What did I feel about this? For me, that's what it is, okay? Dana White, all of you. All of you, Smith, every one of you. Every one of you special people that are part of this club. This special club. That's allow, you want respect? Hey, you got it, baby. You earned it. Let your corner have the same respect that they can show appreciation of what you did. Very few people honor that kind of that kind of level of principle. Very few people can. Very few people. And let them show appreciation by saying, I'm going to save the vessel because the spirit it's still here. The spirit did not fail. It did not dishonor him. And someday the spirit should have this armor, this vessel to go back to war, to go back to battle because that's what he does. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, the the fighter can, the, the, the trainer knows the fighter very well and they look for signals that he's lost hope. And at one point in between rounds, the ref came over, warned him about the mouthpiece and he said to his corner, my teeth are falling out, but he said it, I saw an interview with him actually this morning with Ariel Hawani, he said it in such a way that was like, not, guys, my teeth are falling out, like uh, almost like guys. I'm getting beat up every which way, would, which would be a sign that like he's lost hope. But he was saying, I was telling them, that's my my wife. My mouthpiece is falling out because I can't bite down. My teeth are gone, and I thought that was interesting because even when he was taking that beating, he didn't. He refused to even give a, a subtle hint, like please get me out of here. And to that point, that's why I went through the time to qualify it. Because you can look at it that way. Yes. You can. You can. Some people, I'm not arguing. Some people say, hey, that was his way of putting a flag up. You know, that was his way without making it obvious and evident that he wanted out. Yeah. I, I get it. I understand. And does that happen in my business, in that business too? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Sometimes I, I gave it a name on ESPN all those years, being a game quitter. Yep. Yeah, it's tough. 
I don't want to say those things with a guy that gets in the ring and does more than 95% of the people could ever do in this world, have that kind of courage, but the truth is the truth. That's my position, to, to identify these things and separate them. Some are tougher than others. Some are greater, more advanced, more disciplined, more warrior. But sometimes there are fighters that are getting a place. I'll tell you one. Again, you got that shield because when these arrows come, <laughs> you're not Ken. You're laughing, but there's, I was just going to ask there's, you there's for maniacs some examples. Out there. I love you, but they're maniacs. They they're out there. They already got the quiver. They're pulling it out of the quiver, <laughs> you know. And they're they're pulling it back, you know. And they know what I'm going to say because they hey, that's why they're fans. They're fanatic, right? Fanatic. Yep. And um. But Tyson did that. Oh, whoa, that that one missed. Uh, you know. But listen, it's not sour grapes. It's not hate. It's it's logical. It's what I see. It's what I know. It's what I've lived. What I understand. What I'm trying. It, where in the Holyfield fight, the first one, he took a beating. But he got to a point where he didn't try to win. He just took a beating waiting for the ref to stop, stop it. That's being a game quitter. Yes. I'm not saying he's not more courageous than 90% of the people in the world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying on the levels of fighters, what we judge it by. On that level. You know, that's what I'm saying. On that level. I'm not, you know, I'm not mixing apples and oranges. I'm talking about as a fighter and all the responsibilities and everything that goes towards that, with that expectations, all of that, responsibility, all of that, that you have to be better than that if you're going to be judged as the special guys like a Joe Lewis or Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, Rocky Marciano, all these, forget about the different sizes and the different areas, forget all that. Talk about behavior. And when Tyson... A fight is not a fight until there's something to overcome. Before that, it's an athletic venture. It's an exhibition. Who's got faster hands? Who's tough? Who's stronger? Who's more physical? Who's who's faster? Who's quicker? That, that, but then when there's something to overcome, then it becomes a fight. When there's a threat, resistance, then it becomes a fight. That's when you find out where the hell the guys are. Separate people. And all I'm saying is, when it became a fight with the Holyfield, Tyson was fighting, was lasting, existing, surviving. He wasn't trying to win. He was taking punishment. People say, how can you not say he was tough? I'm not saying he's not tough. I'm, making a, I'm separating the levels of it. He, was, he became, in the terms that I used on ESPN all those years, a game quitter, where the objective should always be to win. But the objective became to survive and in some ways to wait for the referee to stop it, knowing that's what happens when you stop fighting back to a certain extent. But he didn't just fall down, so that's a game. That's that's. I'll, I'll throw out the word quit. That's a, that's a guy who's submitting on a level but taking punishment while he's doing it Yep. in a, in a game way. So that's there. It's in UFC. It's in boxing. It's there. It's there. At certain places, extremities, extremes, to go to those places, you find that you have to go to those places. But what I'm saying is that with these UFC fighters, it is about the spirituality, spirituality of it, uh, for me, it's about the code. It's it's about you know, it's about the spirit. It's about the allegiance to that behavior, to be part of that club. Yeah, one of the interesting aspects of the UFC versus boxing when it comes to that topic of being a game quitter. I almost think in the UFC, it's easier to be a game quitter. And I'll give you an example. When Smith was getting pummeled on the ground, at any point in having just a little bit of experience with grappling in, in, in that kind of combat sport, you could very easily look like you're trying your hardest and just 
subliminally let the guy choke you. You can just, oh, I tried to grab his hand. He got that choke in on me and it's over. You tap out, it's over. With boxing, there's nowhere to hide. You're either going down, taking a knee, not firing back. Can this way side. But I think it's a I, little bit. I, no, I'm just saying. I mean, uh, I, I get your point. I get your point. And it's a, you're walking a line here. I get your point. And you're, you're not, I'm, I'm not dismissing what you're saying. I just explained it in a different way. But yeah. um, again, all respect to these guys. All respect. Um, I'm not even going there. I'm just, I'm not even going there. But I say in boxing, there are ways to hide it. I'm going to throw a few at you that you know, I know you're honest, so you're going to say, I didn't think of that maybe. But uh, a guy gets hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But he's got the capacity to overcome it because he gets up. He wants to get up because he doesn't want to stay. Because you stay there, maybe because of the event, the way it went, the punch, some people will question, as you just said, whether or not he could have got up. So he gets up, but he's already given up. You don't know it yet. But he does. He's already given up. So he doesn't want it to continue. So what does he do? When the referee says take a walk, he walks crooked. Now, we assume that it was crooked because his equilibrium was off. Which it may have been. Not always. Not always. Not always. Because sometimes the ninjas came over the wall. The ninjas of doubt, the ninjas that were always fight, fighting in our everyday lives. doesn't have to be in a ring. We all fight for something, Ken. We're all in a battle, all of us, for ourselves, for our dignity, for who we are, for our marriage, our jobs, our place in society. We're fighting against the stigma that was put on us when we were a kid by some cruel stepfather or somebody else, or some coach that shouldn't have been a coach that said that you're never going to be good at this. Don't try to be this. Don't try to be that. You're not qualified. You're not good enough. We're fighting something. We're fighting something. The opponent, the enemy, just has different faces, different forms. That's all. That's why I do this show to a certain extent. Is to, in some way, hopefully be able, I'm no genius. I'm, but I understand those feelings. I understand where they come from. I have experience there. So I, I try to use this show in some ways to, I need to center myself more. Um, I try to use this show some ways to connect the dots in this world connected thoughts in boxing and life you know to offer some kind of answer to some people some kind of uh, highway freeway bridge from here to there you know and um but again the there are ways in boxing. I just described one. Uh, there, there, are, there are ways to get out. There are ways to get in. You know, after you've thought about getting out. Fury, first fight with Wilder, the second knockdown in the 12th round. I mean, he, he looked like he got shot with an M16. I mean, he's laying there, right? He's laying there. Yeah, now, he's yeah. lucky he had the right ref, to be honest. There was, yeah. he, was, he was playing with fire there. But I get it. Very close. Because some referees wouldn't have done their job right. See, then we, mm-hmm. that's where we got to be careful, even with the UFC, because we say, oh, this guy shouldn't be a ref. He should have stopped the fight. Then if he stops it, oh, he shouldn't be a ref. He stopped the fight too soon. Well, yesterday you said that he stopped the fight too late. Today you said he's. And we stopped. had an we we, uh, we had an example of that in the last two in the last one week at the UFC. Dominic Cruz 
to me, it was a good stoppage. Uh, Henry Cejudo knocked him down, was pummeling him right as the ref jumped in. Dominic did make a move to get up, but I mean, not after he got hit with 11 shots unanswered. And, you know, Cruz made a big stink about it afterward. We covered it. But the point is, to me, it looked like a good stoppage. But you just, if you don't answer back and the ref tells you before the fight, if I give you an instruction and you don't follow it, I'm going to stop it. He got hit. He goes getting smashed. The guy gave him a few commands. There has to be criterium is what you're saying. Yep. But there has yes. to be common sense in life yep. and in the ring. For sure. Judgment, instinct. And this referee with the Fury Water first fight, I don't know, that judgment, that instinct was pretty good that night. Some, some refs would have just closed shop. That's it. Look at him. He's laying there. Fight's over. Fight's over, but no, he did his job. He went through the steps. Yep. Went through the steps. You you just touched on it. He went through the steps, the process, and the fighter deserves that. And it made, going through those steps make Fury a, a multi, 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 multi millionaire and, and a hero and a lesson to people, an example to people, really, because as I was Describing before, there's ways to figure to get out. There's ways to figure to get in. <laughs> to get in. And he was laying there. I have no doubt he was laying there, Ken, thinking about just letting it go. Just stay there. It was pretty comfortable. You know what? Nobody's hitting me. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty solitary here. You know, he was in a zone. He was in a place. I like to be there sometimes, you know that, and you too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just the world's leaving me alone, and and nobody yeah. can hurt me. And then all of a sudden, something flashed, something flashed, and said, "Yeah, it seems so comfortable, it's so quiet, it's so surreal." But when this moment is over, it's not going to be that comfortable. The real world's going to knock on the door, and how am I going to feel then? when I have to go back to it? How am I going to feel that I laid there, that I know I laid there? How am I going to feel? And bang, he got up. He got up. Just in time, he got up. He decided to get back in. He decided to live. It's never too late. He sent a message. I said it, that that should be used as a public service to people that are suffering from depression, that it's never too late to get up. I like what you said at the beginning there, though, that he was playing with fire because that whole conversation that you just described that he was probably having internally happened within 10 seconds. And that, to your point, could not have been closer. I mean, a split second longer and that fight's over. And it was like, all these things, these things I'm sure are going through his head and he gets up and just under the wire and to the ref's credit, they let it go and he comes back in my, from, to me, he won the rest of the round handedly. And that guy looked like, like to your point, he looked like he was lights out. He's been shot. He's down. His arms are spread out. He's on his back looking up at the lights. The next thing you know, he's dominating the rest of the round. Five seconds later after getting up. It was really spectacular. After, I'm going to add one thing, and I'm done. Yes. After finding a reason to get up. Yes. To the point, to that point, um, along the lines of the towel theme with Fury Wilder in the rematch, obviously we know it was a one-side beatdown for... Um, for Fury and Wilder's trainer, assistant trainer Mark Breland end up throwing in the towel. Um, and we discussed this in the past, but I wanted to just get your thoughts in relation to the UFC thing. At what point, and, and tie it into your own experiences, at what point do you throw in the towel? And after after we address the, the, the Breland stoppage, I'd love to hear, have you ever had that? had to throw in the towel to save a fighter from himself. Off the top of my head, I don't recall, but I mean, you've trained so many fighters. I'm sure there must be some instances. So first, with the Breland stoppage, um, what did you think and would you have done the same thing? Yeah, I would have. Uh, yes, I would have done the same thing. I think Breland saved the guy. Um Saved the guy physically from getting really hurt because he was gone just before the last punch. Fury was a little sloppy. 
But then just before last punch, he wasn't. He made a real professional boxing move. He stepped back, and I'm sure Rob would probably add this clip on there uh, because Rob likes to make me look good um, when he can. <laughs> That's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, It's not. It's a full-time job. You got to have like a PhD in it. He's got a PhD. He went to like some <laughs> special, special place to do that. And he made a boxing move. He stepped back, and then he stepped back in. Bang. Oh, he was gone. And... And now he was really going to be in. He was he was out there, just fair game. I mean, he was just laying out there. He was like laundry on a line. <laughs> yep. I mean, he, he, that was it. You know, the wind came along. The laundry going to go wherever it goes. There was nothing to protect him. So, I'm not overstating by saying Breland saved saved him, saved his life maybe, um, and. That's Freeland's job, to know when to do that and to be prepared to do that. And he saved them in a way that we touched on. That if a guy's, I'm not saying what it was or wasn't. I think he got broken down in that fight. But if a guy is behaving like a fighter, like a warrior, even those guys sometimes get to the place where they get broken down. Why let the world see it? Mm-hmm. Why... You know, why let him get to the place if he's behaved like a fighter and there's nothing left? Not only if the the body is gone, but the spirit has been vanquished. Why make the guy go to his own devices and instinct, survival instincts, take over, and maybe he has to quit? Maybe he quits. Why why, why put him out there and parade him out there for the world to see that when you've gotten to that place? Why? I think he's. you owe him better than that. You're, you're supposed to protect him at that point from that. Not just from the physical harm. I'm not talking about that right now. The emotional harm. Why break him? Why take a, you know... The spirit, the spirit of a stallion, and break it. Why? Why? That spirit is everything. Why have to see that crushed? Why? When you're at the point where you know what you see, or at least you're supposed to know what you see. Why take it to that final place, where you never recover from that? That's when fighters don't recover. Mm-hmm. That's where fighters have nightmares that they remember, they know what they did. And when they get to a place that they have to get to again someday, it's hard to overcome that. Because you're searching for hope. You're searching for something that can tell you you can handle this. And the only thing that you find is the last time you didn't. The last time you stepped out. The last time you surrendered. Why Why make them do that? When you could do it. That's part of what you're paid for. Hate to tell you. You don't want to be paid for that. You don't want it to come. You want to be winning all the time. I got you. But that's always there as a possibility. And Breland did what he was supposed to do in that case. And that's the responsibility. And as far as what you look for... You look for what I just told you, stuff like that. You look for the way your fighter reacts. And you know the fighter better than anyone else. So you know if his reaction is wrong, if it's different. It's kind of like being a parent. You know when your kid's not feeling good. Someone else doesn't. Your kid is always chatting. And all of a sudden he's quiet one day. You know what? Let me grab this kid and take him to the doctor. Let me check his fever. Right now, let me take him out of school. Right now. Let him get it. Let me get him out of the playground. Right now. Oh, what do you mean? He looks fine. No, he don't. I know him. I know my fight. I know my kid. Something's wrong. That's what a trainer has to do. He knows what the doctor don't know. What the what the referee don't know. He knows how the guy acts in certain 
ways, in certain times, in certain situations. So you got to be cognizant. You got to be aware of that on top of that. And if he starts to act in a strange way, in a different way after getting it, you're ready to stop. You, you re, you're aware of that. It means something. You respond to that. That is part of being a good corner. To that point, have you had to throw in the towel in the past on fighters? Yeah, twice in 45 years. Uh, twice. If I, twice. Can you, can you describe one of them and what, what, like how, how the situation played out, what the reaction was of the fighter? Was he on the same page? Like, to the best that you can remember, can you walk through like the decision-making process? Well, one was... Well done well, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know what years. 30 years ago. Whatever. Um, mm -hmm. One was in a world title fight in West Berlin, Germany. against uh, For the super middleweight title against Graziano Rodrigiani, an undefeated world champion. South Pole, I believe. And my fighter was Chris Reed, the Shamrock Express. And I stopped it in the 11th round. Chris had bad skin, and he would be prone to getting cut. He was getting cut up. So part of it was I I couldn't allow it to go anymore. And part of it was he was too far behind. And I didn't see the reward worth the risk anymore. And there was more to it. You have to be available to yourself prepared you know just prepared uh, avail yourself to all the information you need to have to do the right job the responsible job and i knew that chris was at a point in his career where this was it and if he didn't look good in this fight or win this fight or perform the way we needed him to i felt he needed to i was going to retire him i did i retired him after the fight great kid great kid loyal kid Honest kid, um, serious kid. You know, he didn't, he didn't argue with me. He said, "Okay, he trusted me," and that's what I was. That's a big weight and responsibility having someone trust you. And you better, you better take it serious. At least I think you're supposed to take it serious. So I went into that fight armed with all that information. That at this point in his career, because of different things. Uh, different circumstances, different parts of what had been part of his life and the effects of those things. Um, I was ready. I was ready to retire him, as I said, if he didn't look good in a fight. So when, when he was behind in a fight, cut up, taking punches, why am I going to let that continue when I already know that I went in there with a awareness that there might be a reason to, to stop it, to stop his career. Why would I not be aware that there might be a reason to stop the fight? And I was aware. And I acted on it, I thought, for the right reasons and because I was aware of that and I was aware of the possibilities of getting to that place. I went in there aware, hoping he'd win the world title. We gave him his chance that he deserved uh, to win a world title. But... I was aware that it might not, it might not be, what we wanted to be, and once I realized that, I, I, I recognized, uh, as I said, the possibility of going into that fight, if things didn't go right, to do what a corner has to do sometimes, and uh, he was so game his heart, but that's where you protect him from himself. He was still behaving like a warrior. But uh, it was up to me to time for me to behave like someone who respects a warrior. That's it. And then the other one was in Madison Square Garden with a kid, tough kid, game kid, uh, Felix Santiago. He was uh, he was fighting a fighter named Blake, last name. Rock and Robin Blake was his brother who had been a top contender, lightweight contender. This was at welterweight. And I, I don't remember his first name, but it was Blake. Roddy. Uh, Roddy. 
Uh, Rob just told me it's Roddy. And so it was Roddy Blake. It was in Madison Square Garden. And what I went in there with was understanding that I had worked hard to improve Felix in a defensive way, but he would get hit. And here's the thing. I I knew that he would get hit sometimes in the gym, and I would be cognizant of that. And if here's one of the things that a, a trainer, I think, has to pay attention to or adhere to or respect. If you win the gym and your fighter has a tendency not to get away from the punches the way he needs to, you would stop the or I would stop, and most responsible trainers would stop the spawn session. You're not going to let the kid, you know, go and say you planned on spawning six rounds that day. What are you going to do? Let him take punches for six? I'm not. I'll stop it and then come back the next day and be better. That's the idea, you know, or two days later. Well, why why not have the same principle of thinking in the ring? Why not? So if he's getting hit too much, if he's not reacting properly, he's getting, which I knew he had a tendency to, you have to be aware. That's number one. Number two, you have to know your opponent. Be aware of his capabilities. One thing this guy could do was punch. So anything he got hit with, it wasn't going to be like, uh, you know, getting hit with a fly swatter, you know, or with a rag or with a towel or, you know, just uh, something that doesn't affect you. It was going to be with dangerous punches. And he got hurt. And he, I saw he was hurt. And I know how he normally acts, where he'll throw back. And he wasn't thrown back quite the same. And I knew that that... I knew that behavior was foreign to him in those situations. So that told me something's wrong. Just like when my, my child out in the playground is normally talking, he's not talking. Something's wrong. So I knew that. And it was a complicated, a little bit funny situation. It was a referee, a good man, good ref. He thought he was doing me a favor by giving it more time. And he wasn't doing nothing illegal. Let's make this clear right now. He wasn't fixing a fight. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't, he didn't go in there and, and all of a sudden give my guy time by warning the other guy or taking a point away for no reason. Corrupt people do that. It's there. No, but he was given, out of respect for me, I think, his friendship, we're human. He was given him more time. I couldn't care about that, and I knew it. Here's Ken, as I was starting to climb up those steps to stop it, I knew it was going to possibly embarrass my friend. I felt bad about it, but not as bad as I felt that if I didn't stop. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That I would have put my fighter in danger, and I would have betrayed my, my, you know, my job, my responsibility. But but I got to tell you that I, as I was going up there, I was saying, I know he's trying to. It's going to kind of embarrass him a little bit that he didn't stop it. And afterwards, sure enough, he said, you know, I was. I said, I know. I was trying to give you a time. I know. I appreciate it. But I needed to stop it. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's a good point. That's a good point. I think that a lot of people, like all those little innuendos that people can miss. I'm glad you pointed that out because I can see a scenario how that could happen. And uh, and listen, in the Chris Reed, two different people. In the Chris Reed situation... He knew. He appreciated. He wasn't a big talker, Chris, but he was a doer. I like doers, and um, he was a you know. He knew it was time, and he didn't argue with me, and he respected the time we spent together, the four or five years, whatever, the journey that we had together. At one point, he was like eighteen and zero with eighteen knockouts. Boy, oh boy, he could punch. It was tough. The timing just didn't come out right. We had a chance to fight Marvin Johnson, who was a great champion, Southpaw, warrior, but he was used up. He was used up. And we thought we were going to get the fight. And I'm telling you, I know it's easier said than 
when when it I know I know it's easy to say things and especially if it's on your side of the fence but I hope people know that I think I've earned the right to believe me a little bit because I care about what I say and I care about having a reputation that that is an honest one um and there's only one way to keep that reputation to continue being honest even when you want to go the other way a little so I'm not perfect but that matters to me and um Chris would have won the title he would have knocked out Marvin Johnson he would have and we started training for it and at the last second his great managing he was a great boxing man one of the greatest Mickey Duff he uh he called and said we lost it we didn't get it they Leslie Stewart got it from Trinidad I said I I I knew right then, I said, I turned to Chris. We got the information on the phone in the gym in Gleason's. I turned to Chris, I said, um, Leslie Stewart's going to knock out Marvin Johnson. And I think Johnson was a favorite going into the fight because of who he was. But sure enough, Leslie Stewart knocked out the old warrior who was used up, didn't have anything left. Chris Reed didn't get the fight. He got another fight against Fuller Celio. Fulisimio Obed, who had fought the great Marvin Hagler. Hagler had stopped him. What does that mean? Hagler's a monster. Hagler's a legend. He's an iconic fighter. But uh, we fought him instead, and things had changed. Chris never quite got back to where he was before the Marvin Johnson fight. just happens sometimes. He never got back to that place mentally or physically. And um, when we fought this guy, Fulisino Obed, or whatever his name was, in Madison Square Garden, uh, like I said, a fighter who was very experienced, good puncher, uh, Chris Chris got beat. And, you know, then later after that, we got the Graziano fight as sort of a, I don't know, sort of as a going-away gift. Like, we knew that his career had kind of gone away. We we gave him one last shot. This was the last shot so he could leave the business knowing he got that world title fight. But the time, even though he was still young, he was old in other places that a fighter can't afford yeah. to be old. And it was, the time had passed. Everyone's time is when it is. And the time had passed. But we thought it was the right thing to get him that fight. And that's why it was the right thing to be ready to stop him if it got to that point. But here's the funny thing. Chris understood all of it, you know, and faced all of it as he always did and was respond and agreed and, and said, Teddy, you tell me to retire, I'm retired. And, um, and he understood that. He wasn't... I agree. I think he was appreciative. Felix, on the other hand, good kid. Good kid. Tough kid. Really. But he was angry. He was angry. And that's what a responsibility that is inherent. That's that's part of what you got to live with and be ready to deal with as a trainer. You're not always, your, your decisions aren't always going to make your fighter happy. Is that what you're there for, to be Friends with him? Really? Yeah, I'm friends with him. A real friend. To protect him. And sometimes that is not something that the fighter wants or, or feels good about or understands. Just like with a parent, with a kid. How many times you seen a good parent? They're loving and kissing a kid and the kid's so happy. I love your papa. I love your mama. And then all of a sudden, I hate you. <laughs> because you said no to something. It happens daily here. But <laughs> You're an expert on that. And, <laughs> and, but it's your responsibility as a parent that, that those alternate currents of feeling are going to come at you. And so, yeah, with Chris, he was, like I said, he was grateful. With Felix, it was different. But what was not different was... My responsibility of what making what I believe 
was the proper decision, no matter how it was going to be taken by the yeah. fighter. Yeah, gotcha. Um, before we wrap this one up, I just wanted to come back to one more point related to the UFC, is, and that is that when those kind of one-sided fights start to take shape and, and one guy starts getting run over, it, it, it becomes a little bit hard to watch. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because watching that, I love watching the UFC. And even when they're on the ground, I can appreciate all the strategy. Everyone wants to see a bloody stand-up battle. I get it. But there's a, so much strategy that goes into it. But when one guy starts getting run over, I think it becomes a little harder to watch than boxing uh, because, you know, in boxing, you go down, it stops. In, in the UFC, the guy goes down, and now the other guy's on top of him raining down punches and knees. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that aspect of it before we wrap this one up. Yeah. The brutality of these some of these fights when they become one-sided. It goes from fighting, from competition, from sport to slaughter. I don't want to see slaughter. Mm -hmm. That's something that would, for me, that's my response to your question of what you're seeing. That when it no longer is sport, it is no longer a challenge of two men's skills and wills where one man can no longer defend himself in either one of those areas or in both of those areas. When it changes, when it transists, when it morphs from fighting, finding a way, overcoming, you know, to where it's just slaughter. It's no longer entertainment. It becomes on the borderline of being something morbid. You know, something... Uh, Something other than what we're supposed to be entertained by, drawn to. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's we're supposed to be drawn to learning. Yeah, that's for me. Learning. Learning how to behave. Learning how you might behave tomorrow by watching these great gladiators. In your own way, in your own domain, in your own world. In your own environment, at work, at home, on a baseball field, on a basketball court, on a football field. It goes from learning something to witnessing slaughter, to witnessing a defenseless person that has lost the capacity the wherefore, the tools, the ability, the desire, the spirit to be able to defend themselves in a proper way in a man's sport where there can be something attained from witnessing it. Nothing can be attained by watching slaughter. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And especially in the early days of the UFC when you had um, a bunch of different styles and techniques that have evo that eventually evolved into what we have today that's very competitive. In those early days, you'd get guys in there right off the street with very rudimentary skills against guys who are highly, highly trained jiu-jitsu practitioners, for instance. They'd just get them on the ground, they'd be over. But what was worse is when it wouldn't be over and you'd get someone in there on a, in a one-sided fight in those early UFC days and the guy like what you say. It would just be a slaughter. I, I even had a hard time. I would have a hard time watching it. Just like it looked like a street fight, a mismatch in the street where you're like, hey, let's go. We'll break this up. This is like he's had enough, I think. Um, it's where you draw a line from being human beings. Yeah. Well. This was an interesting conversation. Uh, you got anything you want to add before we sign off today? I appreciate all the time you spent on this one. I appreciate you, Ken. I appreciate your family, that they uh, cooperate, that they're allowing us to take you away from them. And uh, 
given us this time to do this. And uh, I appreciate their honesty that they don't like your face. <laughs> but they love you. But they love you. They love the core of what you are, of the spirit of what you are, because that's what we spent this whole episode talking about, that it's not about the vessel. It's about the spirit. And your spirit is beautiful. It's great. And it's applauded and respected by your family. I appreciate you now saying go, that. Now go grow the beard again, please. Coincidentally, right as you said that, we have uh, someone's coming in. Do we have a guest? A Do guest? we have a special someone's guest? Someone's coming in to make a guest. Oh, uh, she's beautiful. Look at right, that beautiful girl. girl. That's Tensei. You say hi to Teddy. Hi, Teddy. Hi, honey. How are you? He said, how are you? I've got the headphones in. Good. Uh, besides being beautiful, besides having a million-dollar smile, I'll repeat myself because you're so beautiful. You're, you're beautiful, and you have a beautiful smile, and that's how we're going to close this show, right there, right there, with that beautiful smile. A lesson for all who's watching. Smile, and the world will be better. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. Appreciate the support. Take care. Oh, oh, oh.